wouldn't mind having all the lights on today. That's the kind of guy I am. There you are. I see you. I see you. This could be a really short message, you know, since they've been putting coffee out in the mornings. And I drank a bunch of it. So while I'm caffeinated, that's a good thing. The other part's just hard to deal with. You know, unless I can be jumping around up here. Hey, I'd like to say in starting this morning that uh, I'm really grateful to be doing this here, to being the guest speaker at your church. I really am. I'm thankful. It's always an honor to preach the Word of God, isn't it? It's an honor to share faith. And so I never let that go by without saying thank you, Pastor Rob, who's in the ministry this morning next door. As you said, pray for him and children's kids zone there. So that he'll come out alive and we'll still have a pastor. <laughs> and, uh, how many of you here were at Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage? I mean, that was a scream, wasn't it? I tell you, I, I told Pastor Robbins over, I said, we got to do it again. Please, let's, if you didn't get it, you know, talk to somebody that was there. Raise your hand again. Say, I was there. And, uh, okay, attack one of these people and say, come on, really, was it that good? Uh, here's, here's what I sh- would have arranged this morning was to have all the guys come up front that were there, stand in a row like this, <laughs> and then say, how was it? And watch them go. <laughs> Simultaneously, because... I think it was probably the first marriage seminar uh, for men. Come on, it, you know, it wasn't. Uh, it was like he said. It's, this isn't to try and teach you how to be a woman. <laughs> but it was. I tell you, my face hurt from laughing, and it was great. So I hope we do it again. If we do, uh, be sure and get there. Uh, maybe we can set it up so it'll be like a Friday night, Saturday nights instead of uh, during the workday or something, so you can get there. Let's put the life group definition up behind me. There it is, right there. Would you read this with me again? At the core of Big Bear Christian Center are life groups of 3 to 15 people that meet weekly throughout Big Bear Valley. Empowered by the Holy Spirit through prayer, their purpose is to make disciples through spiritual growth, immunity, and evangelism resulting in group multiplication. And as you see the banners around the room, we're kind of making our way around. And this morning we're on spiritual growth. And so let's talk about spiritual growth this morning for a little while. The, the word itself, growth, implies a process, doesn't it? It's not an arrival. How many of you would raise your hand and say, you know what this means? Onomatopoeia. One, two, onomatopoeia. Three, thank you. I see those hands. Would you please come forward now? No. <laughs> Just kidding. Onomatopoeia. Those are the words that we use that sound like what they mean. Fizz. Wow. Roar. Buzz. Zoom. Matthew. Matthew. Me, me. Beep, beep. He knows what onomatopoeia is. How about the one that you can't resist when you're driving through the countryside? And you see a herd, and your window goes down, and you say, What? Moo. Why? What is that? What? I don't know why we can't resist that moment. Moo. It's like we have to say something to them out there. Or zap. 
Well, what I'd like to do is take this word growth this morning and turn it into an onomatopoeia. And I want you to say it with me. So we're, what we're going to do is we're going to start out a little bit. Growth. Okay, ready? Your turn. Growth. It implies a process from beginning to end. In fact, there's Greek words that we're not going to spend time on this morning that imply this, that it has a beginning, a process, and then you come to, literally, you come to perfection, the Bible says, as a saint. And we know that it happens immediately when we come to Christ, that we're redeemed, as Pastor Rob was leading us there moments ago, saying that, uh, excuse me, that actually has a little communion cup on it there. Probably not spill that. Um, he was saying that our righteousness is in Christ. Our redemption came immediately. Our righteousness was imputed to us. It's no longer about our ability to do or say or be something. It's about his ability in us. It's about his life in us. And so the process begins to take us to where we can actually say it's completed. Like Paul said, you know, I've run the race, I've kept the faith, I fought the fight, and now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And it's not just for me, but for all that love his appearing. There's a process we're in, and it's called what? Growth. You don't want to, that's easier to say than onomatopoeia. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at a number of passages here this morning, as we should. Spiritual growth is actually achieved in stages. This is implied by its own name, growth, process. So it's achieved in stages. Where we start... 1 Peter chapter 1. Actually, uh, you stay there and let me read to you a simple verse from the Gospel of John, one you're familiar with. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered Nicodemus saying this, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless, you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can a man be born again? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb is the question. And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Right? This is where it begins, being born again. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brothers, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And we come to chapter 2. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Did I lead you astray? We're in First Peter chapter 2. We good? Okay. Therefore, now, being born again, these things begin to happen for us uh, somewhat automatically because we're a new creature in Christ. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. I've shared this story before, but I remember after I gave my life to Christ, you know, before I, I did give my life to Christ, my vocabulary was quite limited. It was filled with colorful metaphors. And four-letter words. 
like golf. Gotcha. Um, after coming to Christ, my vocabulary hadn't changed, but I was talking to somebody and the four-letter words and explicatives were coming out of my face. And as they were coming out, it was almost like I could see them. And, and I, all that my spirit man wanted to do, being brand new born again, was to reach out and grab them and somehow eat them back. But I knew they were out there, and I couldn't stop them. But the spirit of God in me was already at work bringing life change to my spirit man. Has that happened for you too? And so it's not like we work real hard at getting rid of some things. It's the new life of Christ that flows into us that actually just pushes those things off. We don't need them anymore. But there is an, an injunctive here that says, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, evil, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may what? Grow. Grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. It starts by being born again. The phrase was popularized maybe a decade ago and turned into songs and all kinds of love songs came out about being born again because of a relationship with some girl. And, and I thought, here's the world, trying to, here's the enemy trying to diminish a phrase that has such strength and quality from the scripture. Make it common in songs. But the truth is still there. Jesus himself said, you can't get into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Going to church doesn't do it. Being in a life group doesn't do it. Uh, attending uh, uh, big events where God is talked about doesn't do it. Saying you know him, reading the Bible, doesn't do it. You have to be born again. Every one of us has to come to Christ and say, I'm dead in the spirit. I'm alive in the flesh. My soul is alive. My flesh is alive. But my spirit, the Bible says, is dead in sin. Now, I'm a trespasser against God. I have to realize that, recognize it, and come under the conviction that without my spirit man being born again, I'll never see the kingdom of God. I might hang around with people who are in it, and it might be even a better life because those people are kind of friendly, and they love each other, and they get along, and they don't do nasty things, and I don't want to do nasty things either. But you'll still go to hell. And that's not what hell is not designed for you. Did you know that? Hell is not designed for God's people or any people. It's designed for fallen angels. But those of us who stay in rebellion against God and never allow him to come and give us rebirth in the spirit will be destined to hell. Right? It's kind of quiet, but you're shaking your heads. I appreciate that. And we need to be thinking about our family and friends when we're saying those things. Because it's real. And it is forever. But for us, it starts there. Saying, Jesus, become my Savior. I recognize I'm a sinner. My sin is against you and you alone. And without you coming and cleansing my heart and bringing your forgiveness to me and causing me to be born again. I like this phrase because it, it tells me that inside of me is a spirit man waiting to be birthed. But he's dead. He's clammed up. He's got no life of his own. And here comes God, if you will, kind of like the sperm and the egg, if you will. He comes and, 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 gener and generates his life in me. And between he and I... When we're co-joined, I become that new creation that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All things are brand new. That's why I like being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Because I think my new spirit needs a new language. I need to be able to speak to God freely. As, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, when Paul said, you know, I, I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
don't want to do it in public unless there's an interpretation, of course. But when I pray, I pray in the Spirit and I pray with my understanding. And I think that God comes in a moment and fills us with the Spirit, takes control of what James calls the most unruly member of my body and controls it in an instant. And I begin to speak a language I've never learned. And for me, my spirit man now has a new language. I'm born again. And I can talk to God. In First Peter, or excuse me, in First Corinthians chapter three, or no, no, back up here. We're born again, but where we just read First Peter chapter um, two, as newborn babes, that's like the second stage, you know, of this growth process. And I'm looking here at Jamie's little one; she's so cute. But I bet she's hungry sometimes, huh? Yeah. And what does she want? She wants that she wants that milk. She won't probably growing beyond that now. Yeah. He's like, Yeah, she does. And they eat a lot. Right? Sometimes you think you're gonna go broke feeding these little things. It's like an empty hole. You just keep putting things in there. Does it ever fill up? You know it never does fill up because it's got an exit port. <laughs> it's like, oh, I just got it full and I gotta take care of the other end. And then as soon as you're done doing that, the front end wants another load. Amazing. Why? Because there's such growth going on. You know, I didn't realize this until Denny, and I know I'm kind of being personal, but we're family, right? Denny got a little grace, great Dane. I did not know that they grow so fast that it's painful to them. You know, you feed feed them special food to kind of help with that. But this, this dog, this breed, grows so large so fast that it's, painful. Yeah? So you got to really pay attention. And she's doing good, huh? Yeah. How big is she now? 70 pounds. How old? Four months. Like, Hee-haw! Doug, you're going to have to bring over a saddle from Tucson pretty soon. We'll be riding Grace to church. As newborn babes desire the pure, and the, the King James called the sincere, pure milk of the word. I like what Armand Gesswine said about the Bible. I'm sure it wasn't his, but he's, it's where I heard it first. He said, when you read the Bible, remember this. The plain things are the main things. And the main things are the plain things. Don't foul it up. Just read it and look for what God wants to talk to you about. And as a newborn babe, there's only certain things you're going to read and really understand and get a hold of. You're not going to understand all of Revelation in the first year of your Christian experience. It's not going to happen. You know, 70 weeks of Daniel or even Psalm 119 is going to be a good place to start, right? Learning about the Word of God. Desire this milk of the Word. Don't try and choke yourself. But as this is the next stage. You're born again. And then you should get hungry. For the things of God. That hunger expands beyond the word, of course, because you know you're born into the body of Christ. And so fellowship becomes one of those issues that you realize you need to be around others. You need to be. And, and here we've set it up so that we're in, we have life groups during the week. We have trying to do things that build friendship and, and uh, camaraderie and brotherhood, sisterhood in the body of Christ. Because we need each other in order to really mature. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the next phase or stage of growth. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, of course, and they've got some problems. 
You know, if, if you've ever find a perfect church, uh, don't go to it. Because you'll mess it up. <laughs> what I mean, of course, is that there are no perfect churches. There's one church, the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are different local expressions of that body. We're one of them. We're not the only one. Amen? Well, thanks for staying long for the illustration. Appreciate it. <laughs> It's probably hungry. <laughs> Paul's writing, they're having problems. He says, I, brothers, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you're still carnal. Where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, aren't you colonel and behaving like mere men? He's addressing the issue of sectarianism here. One says, I'm Paul, I'm of Paul, so I'm of Peter. I'm a, you know, some are saying, I'm a Jesus-only guy. and You're kind of pulling rank on each other. And sectarianism was the issue in this particular part of his writing. It's not what we're talking about this morning, but I think the illustration is here for us. I couldn't talk to you. Uh, when I first wrote to you, I couldn't talk to you very much at all because you were just babes. This, when he says you're carnal, basically saying you're unspiritual. Now, this little one that just left the, the room, this little baby, it's just a baby. It doesn't know anything, right? It has to be cared for 24-7, 365 days for the first. And I tell parents, if you're going to have kids, remember, for the next five years of your life, you're going to be occupied 24-7. It's a big job raising kids. But Paul said, I couldn't write to you really much because you were just babies. You really couldn't take it. You were carnal. Your baby's not able to eat much yet. He wasn't condemning them for that. He just said you were little people. You weren't able. And you were operating almost entirely because of your human need in the flesh. The word carnal here is not the word sarks, but it's related to it. If sarkinos, if some of you are aware of that, or sark. Kikos, as, as well as used in verse 3. Not that I'm brilliant, I just happen to know that. And what it means is that in the, in the first part, I couldn't write to you because you were simply not able to eat it yet. But now I'm trying to tell you in verse 3, and you're still not able to get it because now you're carnal. Sarkinos. It means you're actually still occupied with the things of the natural. And what he's wanting to help them do is get in charge of your life and get, in, get involved in the things of the Spirit. Don't be driven along by the natural man. Don't be driven along only by your impulses. Be driven along by the things of the Spirit. You need to grow up. So I see this as a stage in spiritual growth where you're, you're not really, you can see it two ways. One, you're not just, eight, you're not able to eat solid stuff yet, but it's, it's good to drink the milk. Keep drinking the milk. Keep drinking the milk until you get strong. But when you get come to the point where you should be able to chew a little, Get with it. Amen. Get with it. Don't sit around drinking off the bottle anymore. And parents, you know what it's like. They get to that point, you kind of kind of wean them. And I think of the Jewish moms, the old, you know, before we had the, you know, the bottles and the nipples and all the nooky nooks and stuff. And, you know, the, the, there's a scripture that says, touch your child's palate with the right things so that they'll hang with it when they get older. Literally, the moms, what would they do? they say, I like broccoli. They'd eat the broccoli and mush it all up. Then they'd pull it out of their mouth, stick it in the little one's face. 
That's how, that's that's the original Gerbers right there. <laughs> I mean, you know, Beachnet was way behind schedule. I mean, so, and then so what it was: take the things you love and touch the palate of the little one, and they'll love it too. Now that doesn't always work with broccoli, but how many of you like broccoli? How many of your kids love broccoli? About half. <laughs> And, of course, once they grew up, you say, hey, let me tell you how you first learned to eat broccoli. And you tell them the story where you took it out of your mouth. They'll probably never eat it again. (laughs) I can't touch broccoli with thinking about that. I couldn't speak to you. At first, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal. You were just babies. I fed you with milk. He didn't say I abandoned you because you were carnal. I fed you with milk because that's what you could take. Right? So that's a stage of growth. You can take milk. Let's give you milk. For until now, you weren't able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able to get the salt of food. You're still carnal. You're driven along like a natural man. And he shifts in this simple phrase. I'm talking about the things of the natural and the things of the spirit. You're not getting that. Because you're laying back into the natural man. Move out of that. Come into the spirit man. And let's start eating something worthwhile. It's a growth process that we're in. And, and even in this simple part of sectarianism, and I would remind us that we should watch for things like this too. You're still carnal, verse 3. For where there are what? Envy, strife, divisions then aren't you just behaving like natural men when those things are in, in underfoot? This is, this, the Bible gives us lots of great things to check ourselves with, right? If you're in interpersonal relationships with people and something's going wrong and there's a lot of tension and envy and strife, you know you're leaning back into the natural man and letting the wrong person drive. The new you needs to get in the front seat, get a hold of steering wheel, and live by the Spirit. But if all you can drink is milk, we'll give you milk, right? Turn with me then to... Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, I like this too. This would be the fourth stage that I'm referring to this morning. First, born again. Second, your newborn babes. Get the pure milk. Third is your carnal, or still driven along by the things of the, of the natural man. Move out of that and uh, get away from the milk. Start getting some solid food on board. And here in chapter 5 of Hebrews, verse 12, Though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled. Where? In the word. Unskilled in the word. We might be really skilled in the world. We might be really skilled in the natural department. We're really talented. People call us for what we can do for them. Our, Our jobs are secure because they need what we do. But you can be all of that and still be unskilled in the Word of God. Right? Okay? You have come to need milk, not solid food. Anyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the Word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age or mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It takes a little while to get your senses about you in the things of the Spirit. It takes growth. It takes a lot of failure. 
it takes a lot of doing it wrong to figure out how to get it right. I used to say that the, the ladder of success has rungs of failure. You climb up three and you fall back two. Then you climb up three again, you fall back two. But you know what? You're making progress if you're only falling back two every time. But you have to try and get up and fail. I like the proverb. I think it's Proverbs Psalm says that the righteous man falls seven times, but he still gets up. It's okay. John Maxwell wrote the book, I think, Failing Forward. If you're failing and you come up with dirt on your nose, you should rejoice. Why? Because you were moving in the right direction when you fell. If you come up with dirt on your fanny, you were running away from the deal and you ought to slap yourself in the fanny. Say, get moving forward. If we fail, let's fail forward. We're going to make mistakes. Let's at least make mistakes trying to do the right things and growing up into Christ. So you have to be born again. There's a simple stage. Two, you have the sincere milk of the word. As a, as a newborn baby, go after that. Three, you need to start moving towards solid food to get the spiritual man in the front. We're all spiritual, right? We're living in a natural world, but this isn't where we're staying. You figure that out. We're just camping here. It's temporal. It seems like a long time to be temporal, but it's still temporal. Because compared to eternity, this is nothing. It's like that. The Bible says it's like a width of your hand. It's a vapor, a grass. We grow up one day, we're gone the next. It might take you 70 or 80 years to get that done. But in light of eternity, this is really a short period of time. So in taking on solid food means we become skilled in the Word of God. Right? Second uh, Timothy, I was going to use this later, but let me just jump ahead to Second Timothy 2.15. Many of you know this passage. So simple little verse. It says, be diligent. This version says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, other version, I think King James says, study. Study. Be diligent. The word behind this in the Greek is to break a sweat. Do something of effort. Make a try at it. Give it your best shot. And study and know the Word of God so that you can rightly divide it as you share it with others. Doesn't it frustrate you when you get into a conversation with somebody about the Word of God or about the things of the kingdom of God and you come up empty? When you come up short and say, ah, I should know that. You would remind yourself, mm, maybe I've only gone as far as the milk in that department. And I need to really go back and look at that and find out what it really means and be able to give an answer to every man to the reason of the hope that lies within me. Right? I need to become skillful in the Word of God. Now, it's a big book. Don't take it all on at once. Right? Don't, but don't shy away from parts of it that you can get a hold of. Go after what you can get. I'd like to tell new, new converts and sometimes even us old converts, if you don't know where to go today in the Word of God and read just go to the Gospel of John and learn again about Jesus. In the Gospel of John, and I, I wrote down this morning, I don't know if I left it in my notes or not, but I was just sitting at the kitchen table um, thinking about eating breakfast. I don't always eat breakfast. Anyway, I, I guess I don't have it here. I stuck it somewhere I can't find it. But I was just going through the Scriptures in John. I thought, you know, in, 
just this chapter says this, and this chapter says that. And the next chapter says be filled with the Spirit. And the next chapter says here's the promise of the Holy Ghost. And the next chapter says I need to abide in Christ. And, and he's the good shepherd. I was just going through the chapters in my mind, reminding myself of what was in that gospel that would help me today. I didn't put on my notes because I wasn't going to preach it to you. I just have to think of it to share it with you. And, and so we need to become skillful in the Word of God so we know what's there, where to find it, how to get to it. I've heard lots of people say, well, I'm just, you know, I remember the, what the Bible says sometimes, but I just don't know where to find it. Well, might I, you know, be kindly like the Apostle Paul and say, well, if you want to stay a baby, that's up to you. That's not a good excuse. I like Dr. Floyd Evers' uh, definition of an excuse. It's uh, an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Did I get that right? Close enough, huh? There's no excuse for not knowing where it's at. If it's important, I mean, do you know where to find the ketchup when you go to the grocery store? You know where the meat department is? You know where the eggs are? Yeah, and I know they put them on the store, so you got to shop the whole doggone place to get a few things, right? They need produce and eggs and milk and cheese and bread, and they're the four corners of the world. And in the meantime, what are you picking up along the way? Something you didn't want or, oh, yeah, I ought to get this and that. There's a strategy in there somewhere. And maybe that's kind of like you in the Bible. You know, God seems to have put everything in the four corners of the Scripture, and you're kind of trying to figure out where it's all at. But as you're working through it, you'll pick up some things along the way. You just got to shop in here. You know, do some reading. Do some studying. Spend a little more time than that 15-minute devotional with the little books we put in the chairs. That's good for some people, but not you. You need to know more. You need to be able to chew the hard stuff and make sense out of it. What's the goal for maturity or spiritual growth? I, I wrote down here Ephesians chapter 4. I think is a good passage for us to look at when we talk about what's the goal of spiritual growth. And we know that Jesus, when he ascended in verse 9 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, it says he, he gave gifts to the church. And in 11 it says he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What for? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till what? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To be a perfect man. There's that word perfect I mentioned a moment ago. It really means fully mature. It doesn't mean you're perfect. Don't strive for that. I mean, remember, I'm looking at you, you're looking at me, and we're saying, perfect? I don't think so. Right? Trying? Yeah, trying. Making an effort? We should. Making every possible strength and breaking a sweat in the right direction? Yes, let's do that. But do I think I'm going to come out of this perfect? Not in my sense of the word, but in the biblical sense of the word, it means you can come out fully mature. And that you can achieve. You can become a grown-up. You can eat solid food. You can rightly divide the word of truth for yourself and others. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now that's a lot of reading. 
But I think the goal is simplified in saying this. We're supposed to grow up into the head. We're supposed to be the connected parts of the body of Christ. We're not independent. Our culture teaches us to be independent and individuals. It's all about me. In fact, I I wrote here in my notes, if I can find it, Western cultural measurement systems for spiritual growth are inherently unreliable. Why? They're central. And I went online. I thought, is there a spiritual maturity indicator that you could just find somewhere? You know, take a little test and see how spiritual you are. And there are lots of them. I put in spiritual maturity indicators in the Google, and I got a page of stuff. It wasn't all Christian. It was just spiritual indicators. And as I began to look at them, most of them centered around two points. One, knowing God and your relationship with him or her or whoever it was. And I thought, see, now there's the problem. Western mindset put these things in order. And what did they leave out? They left out that I'm connected to the body of Christ. It's just all about me and knowing God and me being in a relationship with him. Just a little on me and nobody else. And you're not going to mature in that situation. You can't. Can you get to know God better? Probably. Will you mature? No, you won't. Because we're, our, our goal is to grow up into the head. And my thumb needs my hand, and my hand needs my arm. My arm needs my elbow. My elbow needs my shoulder. We could sing the little song we sing years ago, right? The knee bone's connected to the whatever bone. We have to be connected to one another. Now, you can groan all you want, and sometimes we do, because, you know, life groups aren't always fun. Christian gatherings aren't always wonderful. Family gatherings aren't always wonderful, are they? And I like to say that little saying that, you know, you can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your family. Amen. And we are family. Amen. <laughs> Boy, I think I stuck my chin out on that one. You <laughs> For the sake of the recording, if you're listening online, that was my son-in-law that said amen. <laughs> really, really loud. You know, I'm stuck with him too, and I love it. But in these spiritual maturity indicators, they fail to bring in the very strongest point. Yes, you need God. Yes, you need a relationship with him. But for me, we're talking about spiritual growth. You can't get there on your own. Let me say it this way. You can't get there by yourself because you're part of the body of Christ. You have to live in a family. You have to live in a community. Reading the book, I, don't, I think I have it with me. It's called The Life Model. I've shared it with some people. But in there it says that, uh, you know, remember back when there was a the big discussion about does it take a village or does it take a family? Now the whole government thing went after it, right? It takes a village to raise a child, it takes a family. You know, the truth is it takes both. You need to be in a family to really be fully matured in Christ. Now, it doesn't mean if your natural family is the problem in your life, that's not the one it's talking about. You need to be in this family. You need to be in a life group family. You need to be in a small group family where people really know you, love you, and put up with you. And where you know them and they put up with you put up with them, right? It's it's iron sharpening iron and it's sandpaper on sandpaper and it's a rub and it's no fun all the time. But there are times when it's glorious. The presence of God comes and you realize we are the body of Christ. We are an expression of his life together. And you need to be in that family, and that family needs to be part of a larger community, the village, if you will. 
So the truth is it takes both. For our kingdom growth to really make headway, we've got to do it with other people. Because it's inferred here in this passage in Ephesians that the body is a collective of contributing parts. We need you. You need me. We need us. If you find a, you know, a, a smaller part of the, of the community that you don't like, well, then go get in a different one. <laughs> I give you permission to find the one where God wants to put you. I've used this saying for a long time. I, I mentioned it to the stop and breaks when they first visited here. I said, I believe in this. Everything works better if it's plugged in. Everybody needs to be plugged in where God wants them. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says he places the parts of the body into the body where he wants them. Now, if you don't like your part, take it up with the master. Really. I talked to him about it. Say, is there a way I could graduate from being an ankle bone or something? I mean, I'm tired of people walking on me. Could I, could I be a hand slap a few people around for a while? Just kidding. Well, obviously, he's not going to give you the job of being the mouth. <laughs> not the way you're talking. Who sets the standards for spiritual growth? May I simply give it to you this way? This is what I came up with. It's not, it's not a spiritual growth indicator test. It's just real simple. I see Jesus as a small boy in the temple. What's he doing? He's asking and answering questions. As a, as a young bar mitzvah guy, 12, 13. His parents can't find me. I go back, look, what are you doing? I'm about my father's business already. I'm learning. I'm exchanging with the leaders and the priests here in the temple on the things of the law. And they're marveling at what he's saying. Wow, this kid really knows his stuff. No, he knows his dad. Okay. Then about halfway through his ministry in Mark, I think it's chapter 16, he turns to his disciples and he says, uh, look at the fig tree. Let's learn a lesson from it. Not uncommon for Jesus to use illustrations and parables to teach. But the process that he was in, he says, let's learn a lesson. He includes himself. Let's learn from the fig tree. In Hebrews chapter 5, just ahead of where we were reading, it said that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered and was made perfect. Wow. So what I see in these three simple pictures, Jesus as a child, Jesus in the middle of his ministry, and Jesus just before his death was a lifelong learner. Spiritual growth never ends. It's a process, right? Growth starts and continues, but you can reach like Jesus, and he was made perfect. Now, for him, I think we might allow our definition of perfect to apply. But I think if we read the scriptures, we're going to find out that he was fully matured in who he was by suffering for us. I'd say let's let him set the standards. Let's let Jesus be the model that says it's a lifelong learning process. I never graduate from spiritual growth school. Now, that's a temptation. And, and, and I share with you personally just a moment. In this transition of the church into Pastor Rob's leadership, it is fraught with challenges that go on between my ears. I mean, you've changed jobs or you've had a 
something you've gone through or maybe you've retired along the way, you, you will know what I'm talking about. If you've not been there, you may not know this piece yet. But there, there are questions that go on up here and just like, you know, they cycle about once every six milliseconds or something. And there are questions about who am I, what's my value, what do I do now, what's my worth, uh, who am I, it's stuff like that just goes on. You know, when I get to preach, it's a privilege. You know, I used to have to preach, if you think about it. And I used to have to do a lot of things. Now I have this wonderful title called Pastor Emeritus. If you look up the definition of emeritus, I fell in love with it. It means all of the respect, none of the responsibility. <laughs> so I hope I have your respect, but the responsibilities are not mine. And it's kind of freeing. It's exciting. But it still leaves you sort of wondering. And what, what I'm trying to express to you is that every stage of spiritual growth is accompanied by an elevated level of anxiety. Did you know that? Think about it. Guys, puberty, girls, adolescents, that same age pocket, it was just full of awkwardness, right? Changing schools and changing classrooms. And I got hair growing out places I never saw before. I, I call adolescents that period of life where the girls run their nylons while they're playing softball. Why is that? Because they want to dress up and be girls, but they still want to be boys and rough house and they're between stages of growth. And you get filled with anxiety going to the school, trying to, you know, guys notice girls, and girls notice guys, and guys care and girls don't. And it's awkward. Gangly, body's all weird. But the whole family around them knows that's going to happen. Right? And so the family gets in a little closer and says, you can it's okay, you're going to be all right. No, she's not in love with you. Don't worry about it. You're only 12. So maybe when you're 13, you'll fall in love again or something. And, you know, and we coach them through. And I see this family in the back is kind of laughing. And the kids are laughing because they know all about this. Every level of spiritual growth is accompanied by a level of anxiety. Am I going to be able to do this? Do I have to get off the milk and start chewing the word? Yes, you do. And if you don't, we're going to start taking the milk away until you get really hungry and then we're going to shove broccoli in front of you <laughs> and say, eat that. And you're going to, no, I'm not going to eat that. Well, tomorrow for breakfast you'll have it. <laughs> See, the parents who practice that are laughing. Oh, that is the nightmare, isn't it? Because it's, no. At dinner time you say, okay. Nose good. I'll just put this in the fridge for breakfast. And you go to bed hungry. And the little face changes like, oh my, what did I do? I thought I'd get a bonus out of this somehow. No, you get broccoli for breakfast. How do we measure the success of spiritual growth? Is there a measurement tool? I found too many and I didn't like any of them. Let me submit this to you. How do we measure growth period? in a family unit. Well, the parents are in charge, right? The parents know if that kid's growing or not. There's enough relationship in the home. We know that they're supposed to go to certain stages and phases. They should be walking by a certain time, talking by a certain time. They should be potty trained by a certain time. They should be able to feed themselves, put themselves to bed, go to the bathroom, wash your hands, flush the toilet, come out, 
in decent shape, <laughs> not infecting people, you know. And, and we know that because we've grown up ourselves. And so we can monitor our children, and we become, the family around them becomes the monitoring system. I don't have to find a list in the Bible for spiritual maturity to know if you're doing well or not if we're in a family together. If we're living together in community, we all know whether you're growing or not, right? And especially if you're in a life group or a small group or you're hanging out with people on a regular basis, you can ask them, cell leaders, life group leaders this week, it's probably one of the questions in your notes, to just ask everybody, at what level do you think you are in this spiritual maturity process? And let everybody answer. And then go around the second time asking this question. Ask the person next to them, how do you think they're doing? Where do you do you think they've judged themselves correctly, or have they overestimated their growth? Why? Because we're family together and we monitor each other. Right? We we know when somebody's falling apart. But in our culture, listen to me, please. In our culture, we've been taught not to do anything about it. That's not my job. It's not my responsibility. Their life's going to hell in handbasket, but I'm just gonna let them go because that's their choice. And we live in an individualistic, materialistic. Uh, non-community-driven society. We're not close groups. And we have to get over that. And if I saw Matthew Fallon up and like pick on you, front row, it's easy. Would I just say, oh, well, Matthew's probably just going to go to hell in a handbasket. Would I do that? I'm like a spiritual grandparent here. And I'd be saying, Matthew, we got to talk. In fact, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to pound on you. Corey, your kids were in, the, in here early because your worship practice, and we had some yogurts in the fridge, right? And I see, guys, did you eat breakfast? And they're wondering why I'm asking. So, what, you know, I'm not going to get a square answer. Why do you ask? Well, because I got some yogurts. And so, oh, no, we didn't eat. Where's the spoons? And I'm in the kitchen with these kids, and I'm thinking, I've just created a mess. And so I say to them, now listen, here's the deal. If you make a mess, I will come back down from my office, tie your hands behind your back, and make you lick it up. <laughs> and, I, and I illustrated. I said, it's going to be like this. And I said, do you see this floor? Mice run across this floor. <laughs> Did I come down to a mess? No, there was no mess that I know of. Why? Because it's a family unit. I can say, well, that's Corey's kids down there. Don't just let them do whatever they want to do. No, we're in this together. He's here on the worship team. i got to be a parent. Now, let me insert before I'm done. Spiritual growth, your maturity, is not measured by your physical age. Don't forget that. You can look at somebody that's 40, 50, 60 years old, and if they're a babe in Christ, they're just an infant. Right? You're just getting started. You treat them in the natural according to their physical age, but in the spiritual realm, you have to bring them along as children. We have to nurture them with the sincere milk of the word. We have to care about them <laughs> like they were children. They're going to fail a lot because they're in between two kingdoms now. They're in between two, their physical age and their spiritual age. And they're trying to operate in a world and a kingdom that's around them that pulls on them and demands of them certain things. And now they've got a new set of guidelines that are coming from Scripture and they can't do it like they used to. 
and it's that awkward. They might as well all be in adolescence immediately because they're awkward, they're gangly, they don't know what to do, and they're, they're, they're lost in there. Pull them in. Pull them in. Say, listen, I'm going to go through this with you. You're just a kid. I know you're an old kid, but you're just a kid. Look, the Bible says you're just on milk. Let's have some more. Let's spend some time. Let's read the Word together. Let's pray together. Let, let me help you grow. What's the spiritual maturity or growth measure of success? It's when the people around you can testify that you're growing. It's not whether you think you are or not. That's important. But it's whether the people around you can say to you, I've seen you grow. I'm so proud of you. I saw you, you know, trying to gum that piece of meat to death. You don't even really have teeth yet. But you're just gnawing on it, and that's okay. You'll get it. George Whitfield said during the Wesleyan Awakening in the 18th century, England said this. It's most significant that whenever spiritual awakenings have occurred throughout the Christian centuries, they've always been accompanied by a restoration of koinonia. Koinonia is the Greek New Testament word for fellowship, sharing everything together, life, goods, Services, sharing everything in common. It's that Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4 stuff where they had everything in common. Koinonia. They had the, the doctrines of the church and the teachings of the apostles. They shared the word of God. They prayed. They evangelized. They worshiped. They fasted. They got together. They did everything together. There's always an accompanied, uh, a restoration is accompanied by koinonia, the confession of faults, the bearing of one another's burdens. He wrote to his converts saying, My brethren, let us plainly and freely tell one another what God has done for our souls. To this end, you would do well, as others have done, to form yourselves into little companies of four or five each and meet once a week to tell each other what's in your hearts that you may then also pray for and comfort each other as need shall require. None but those who have experienced it can tell the unspeakable advantages of such a union and communion of souls. None, I think, that truly loves his own soul and his brethren as himself will be shy of opening his heart in order to have their advice, their reproof, admonition, and prayers as the occasion requires. A sincere person will esteem it one of the greatest things. This man was birthed and born and baptized and operated in a revival setting. The city preached to thousands, no microphone, all at once, a booming voice. Get together in groups of four or five. Talk about what God's doing in your life. Open your heart to them. Let them pray for you, minister to you as you minister to them. This is spiritual growth. It's going to take a lot for the church in our culture to actually make this happen. It's hard for us. We live individual, independent lives. If you don't, you know, if you even question that at all, the next time you're on the freeway, ask yourself, am I in the diamond lane? I, I answer that question, yes. I'll take somebody with me <laughs> just to get in the diamond lane. I'm kidding. I'll, I'll hire somebody to sit there. I can't stand that. Looking at all those cars with one person in them. 
I'm a networker. This stuff drives me nuts. I think, I bet 80 of these people could be in one bus or something. You know, get out of my way! <laughs> God has certain responsibilities in our spiritual growth. Let me just read them off to you. It's his responsibility to save us. Salvation, sanctification, deliverance, healing, and spiritual adoption into his family. Those are all his responsibilities. He has to do that. We can't do it. If we try to do those things for him, if we suppose ourselves into his position, then we're going to foul it up, and and our efforts will fall apart. Let's let him do what he does. What's my responsibility in spiritual growth? Well, it's not a spiritual gift, and maturity doesn't just automatically happen when I'm saved. I have to work at it. James Ryle said this at a pastor's uh, Promise Keeper clergy conference I went to over in Colorado. Healthy things grow. Growing things change. Changing things challenge us. Challenge forces us to trust God. Trust leads to obedience. Obedience makes things healthy. And healthy things grow. Seven stages of progress. That's where we need to be in, is this process and progress. I'm going to ask uh, in closing, Ed, would you put that up on the screen for me? Uh, he's going to go through our website, I think, here to, to Joel Comiskey's website. And I've got this book out in the hallway today. It's called Appointment with the King. How many of you have read this book or have one? I know you can talk to any of these people who recommend it to you. Uh, I'm selling. Okay, I'm selling in the temple. You can take me to task if you like. Condemn me to hell over it if you, if you need to. Um, actually, I'm not selling much because the book goes for $14.95. In fact, uh, we go life groups and training. And then right here, recommended reading, Joel Comiskey Books. We go right through our own website to his book site. Scroll down a little bit right on this side. And we'll find there it is, Point with the King, uh, $14.95, sale price $8.95. I've got over 40 copies, and I'll do them for 5 bucks a piece. This, the reason I bring this up is, one, I love Joel. He's a good friend. But I know he's written nearly 30 books, and he will tell you that this is his best book, and it's the worst seller. Why? We don't know. But this book is all about Jump-starting your devotional life and growing in Christ. I don't know why it's not. It should be the bestseller. Practical steps toward a daily quiet time and the disciplines of a quiet time. What? Who? Why should I? What's it about? When's my appointment? Does it matter? Hide and seek. Confession. Listening. Prayer. There's spiritual warfare. This is just a great book. And so there are a number of copies. And no, you're not entitled to take a free one just because you don't have money. You need five dollars. <laughs> Borrow it. Don't steal my books. Okay? I don't have a police officer back there saying, you know, and I know some of you go, oh, well, I'll bring it. I'll bring it next week. You better. Tucked a little condemning prayer in the back. If you take it without, you can't see it, but if you take a book and don't pay for it, it comes out. It manifests. 
your conscience. You get to some chapter about confession of sin, you go, oh, I never paid for the book. <laughs> Could you go to uh, his blog tab? I know you probably can't get to it from there, but I want to point out um, one of the things I have the privilege of doing every week is writing for Joel Comiskey Group's blog. And uh, yeah, I don't think you can get to it from the bookstore. You have to go back through the website or, or through the, or just go to joelcomiskey.com. My blog this week that will come out on Tuesday of next week is called Keep the Generations Connected. And I've listed just a bunch of scriptures about children being a gift from the Lord and that God called us in generations and that the promise he made in Acts, when Peter was preaching Acts chapter uh, 2, said the promises to you and your children and to as many as far off. And I lifted out a lot of scriptures um, that you can just go to the top of that one, whichever one it is. Mario Vega writes, Joel Comiskey writes, guest speakers write, I write. And can you get over here a little bit? Or shrink it or something? There's a sign-up. There is the daily blog email. If you go to this website, joelcomiskey.com, and you get to the blog tab that's up there at the top, you go to this daily blog email and just put your email in there. You can subscribe, and it'll just come in your inbox every day. I'd appreciate it if you do that. I'm not selling that. I'm just saying that there's information here that's good for you. If you'd like to have it, it's available. Uh, life group leaders, I recommend it to you because it's mostly about cells and theology about life groups and things like that would be helpful to you. My next blog is written about keeping the generations connected and how that it's our responsibility for the older to pass it to the younger in every generation. I, I mentioned briefly at the bottom about how Passover was like that. Passover was transmitted verbally every year to the new generations, right? And we still have it working today. God instituted this process of the older teaching the younger, the mature teaching those who are less mature. And, and all of this by his grace, of course. I wrote that to maintain truth and traditions through generations, the stories of faith must be shared verbally between the generations from one believing heart to another. And if you can see it with me, I may be an older and mature person in the faith, and you may be. And the person sitting next to you may be your exact age, but they're only two years old in Jesus. It's your responsibility, my responsibility, to transmit the truth verbally and to instruct one another in the things of righteousness together, to live together in community and family so that we're healed and brought to wholeness and we understand his ways and we actually grow spiritually. It doesn't matter the physical age. But every generation that knows something is supposed to transmit it to somebody who doesn't know it yet. Right? So you know something. And there's somebody that knows less than you. Which I know is surprising to some of you. Because you think you don't know anything. But you know a lot. Most of us in this country who have been in church for, say, even two to five years are probably spiritually knowledgeable to the point we could be pastors in third world nations with no problem. Because they're working with people, pastoring churches, of 500 people, maybe a 17-year-old girl pastoring 500 people in inland China who's only known the Lord for a matter of maybe a month or two and already this thing's so explosive and she's running from village to village evangelizing and trying to get the help she needs to just be able to teach the things of God. You say, oh my goodness, poor girl. No, what about us? 
We're not running from building buildings. We, we just come and eat some more, eat some more, eat some more, eat some more, eat some more. We got to get it out. We got to transmit it to somebody else in order to really grow spiritually. Okay. I have more notes, and I'm a 40-minute guy, and I've gone 50 or 60. Who knows? Who knows? Anybody been keeping track? Whew, I'm glad. I always go to the blog or the, our website and look at the sermon player, and it tells you how long the message is, and I freak out every time I look at my own. And I, and I go to Pastor Rob and say, don't you dare do that. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. That's a parenting phrase, isn't it? <sighs> Father, I pray that you will grow us up spiritually, that, that you will help us in our responsibility to make an effort to give all of our strength into growing. While we're leaning squarely on what you can do in us and what only you can do. Lord, we can make the effort, but we can't make it grow. You're responsible for helping us. And we thank you that you have decided ahead of time that we would grow and become mature. We know that you want to bring us to perfection, that state of full maturity. And so we offer our hearts to you this morning. We pray that you'll re-inspire us with a desire for your word. Lord, that we won't see it as static, cold, or just words on a page, but we'll hear what Jesus said. That the words he speaks to us are spirit and life. And that they give something to us that we didn't have when we read them. Holy Spirit, guide us in our studies. Teach us how to divide rightly the word of truth. So that we too can transmit faith and stories through the generations that are following us. In Jesus' name, amen. One more paragraph from the life model. Maturity never ends, and people need ongoing family and community relationships to stay unstuck in maturity. People need to know who they are, and they need to be frequently reminded of who they are by those who love them. Belonging to a family is for everyone, especially widows, orphans, those without children, and single people. We need to be part of a larger family. Okay? So as John the Apostle said, Love one another. Thanks for letting me preach.